0: Thank you for listening to this message from Life in the Sun Christian Fellowship. We hope you'll be inspired to honor God and make disciples. Well, today we are continuing our series entitled EN ACT. EN ACT is an abbreviation for Every Nation in Action. And we're a family of churches committed to honoring God and making disciples in every nation. And in this series, it's a time for us to remember and to recenter on who we are And what we're all about. If you're visiting, or if you're kind of new and you've been here for a little while, but you're still not clear on what Life in the Sun is all about, then this series is gonna be a big help. We're talking about who we are. What is our DNA? In week one of this series, we talked about the church. You know, every church has a unique culture, every church has a certain emphasis. And so what is it about life in the sun that makes us special? What is our unique distinctive? At the risk of sounding overly simplistic, I want to say that life in the sun is a Christ-centered church. And it's important for us to keep that focus up front. We sang it in the songs today, if you noticed. And it's important to keep that focus up front because over time, it's easy for any church or any ministry Stop being Christ-centered. Do you know some ministries where that happened? I can think of a few. Um, Harvard University. How many of you know that started out as a seminary, but today most people don't think of Harvard as a Christian institution. Anybody here ever been to a YMCA? Nobody. Oh, a couple. Okay. YMCA, what is that? That's a recreation center. But do you know what YMCA stands for? It stands for Young Men's Christian Association. That's what it used to be. But today, you don't go to the YMCA to learn more about your relationship with God. You go there to work out. Or how about this one? The Salvation Army. Used to be a Salvation Army. Today, it's a second-hand store where you can donate items that you don't want or buy, buy used ones at a discount. So it's important for us to recenter ourselves as Christ-centered as often as needed so that in 100 years from now, we will still be a church that is Christ-centered. Amen? So what does it mean? What does it mean to be Christ-centered? Turn to your neighbor and say, Follow Jesus. Imagine a year down the road or five or 10 or 20 years down the road, what will happen to you or what will happen to your family or what will happen to our church family if we follow Jesus every day? I can't tell you what that's going to look like. I don't know what we're going to look like, but I can tell you this. It's more than you can imagine. Jesus is able to do more than all we ask or even imagine. Every nation in action is all about God at work through his church. Amen? That was week one, the church. In week two, Andy talked about social responsibility. By the way, I know Terry already did it, but a big thank you to the leaders who stepped up to bat, Uh, Lawrence and Armand and Andy. Thank you. How many of you guys appreciate these guys? You know, it's not easy getting up and speaking in front of hundreds of people. (laughs) So I want to say thank you to these men. In week two, Andy talked about social responsibility and God's heart for those in need. And you know, sometimes we wonder, you know, why doesn't God do more when we see suffering in the world? But Andy said it well. He said, God has blessed you so that you can be a blessing to others. Today, we're on week three. So far, we said that Uh, We are a Christ-centered church. We are a church that strives to be socially responsible. And this week, we want you to know that we are committed to reaching the next generation. On that note, uh, just a quick announcement. There is a missions team coming to Guam from Manila. They're going to be here next Saturday. It's called the 10-Day Team, and they're being led by Pastor Noel, And he's bringing a team of eight people here, and they're going to focus on campus ministry up at UOG and training our existing leaders to be able to minister to others. And so that's just to give you an idea to see the commitment and the seriousness. We mean business. I mean, how many organizations can you be a part of where a group from another country will come for free, train your people, and then go back home? I mean, there's a commitment there to the next generation. We're excited about the team and what God will do, and you'll get to meet them on Sunday. So here's an illustration of what can happen when you reach students for Christ. Just look around you for a moment. Go ahead and look around. What do you see? You see lots of people. For those of you who are new, you may be surprised to know that this church was started by a group of students that met up at UOG. That was 22 years ago. Today, most of our leaders were part of that early group. Here's another illustration of what can happen if we don't reach the next generation. And this may be the saddest verse in all the Bible. It's found in Judges chapter 2, verse 10, which says, There arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. Judges 2 is about the generation after Joshua. And if you remember the story, Joshua was amazing. He was the leader that, that led the people out of the desert into the promised land after Moses died. And they, they just had this amazing experience with God. For seven years, they were undefeated. It was the glory days of Israel. They experienced God in ways that no other people group ever did or ever will again. And so it's just shocking to me and amazing to think that the very next generation after them grew up and they did not know the Lord or what he had done for Israel. Now, how in the world did that happen? Steve Murrell, our ministry president, he tells the story about when he was in high school, he used to run track, and he had an older brother, and his older brother was a little bigger, a little faster, a little stronger, and it didn't matter what they did. Every competition, his older brother always won. It didn't matter if it was chess or checkers or jack and poe or john kim poe, <laughs> jack and poi or john kim poe. I mean, you ever had that, an older brother, older sister, it seems like they just always win in everything? It's, it's like that in our family. My oldest daughter, Tara, I don't, know, I don't know what it is, but every time we have a little family game, whether it's cards or a race, she always wins. And we, we had a game again on this trip. We were playing cards, and she won. And I said, you know, it just reminds me of those old days back home. You always, you always used to win. And her little sister said, no, she didn't always win. That <laughs> you know, was a little sister comment. I love it. So anyway, Steve Murrell is in this track team running in high school. And his brother is the star of the football team, the basketball team, the track team, everything. He always wins. And uh, so one day in, 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 a, in a small track meet out in the middle of the Midwest, in the middle of nowhere, just an inconsequential race, the coaches thought it'd be fun to put the two brothers together and see what happens. And so no pressure on Steve. I mean, all attention is on the favored runner and all eyes are on him. And and so no pressure. And they're at the starting line. The gun goes off. And 10 seconds later, he beats his brother. I mean, nobody else was more surprised than Steve. And uh, years and years later, when they're older, they were at a family reunion and they were telling old stories about what happened in the family And uh, his older brother said to him, hey, Steve, you remember that day you beat me in a race? And Steve said, do I remember? He said, I relive it every day of my life. (laughs) (laughs) And they had a good laugh. And then he said, but do you remember what happened right after that? And right after that was another race. It was a relay race. It was the men's four by 100. And his brother was running the first leg and Steve had the second leg. The gun went off, and his brother took off. He was like Usain Bolt being chased by a cheetah. And his brother came around the corner, and he's approaching Steve, and Steve looked, and to his shock, his brother didn't have the baton. And he was laughing, and he said, I forgot the baton. He said, run anyway. And so they got into the transfer zone, and he slapped his hand, and he took off, and he went ahead. They were smoking the other, the other team. They were beating him bad. They got to the third guy, slapped his hand. The fourth guy slapped his hand, and they went on, and they just they beat them totally. But they were disqualified, <laughs> even though they ran the race. You know, it doesn't matter how big and how fast we do church. If we don't pass the baton to the next generation, we too will lose the race. It's not a marathon. It's a relay. So here's the big question. How do we pass the baton? Let me put the question this way. The next slide. What's needed to connect with the next generation? You know, during our visit to Portland, uh, we had a great time with the kids. Um, They're doing well. They're flourishing. They're doing well in school. Um, Nicole's a senior. Uh, Tara just started her grad program. Grad program at Multnomah University. And uh, we had a chance to go and see their campus and where they work and hang out with their friends and just to get to do life with them. It was it was it was great. But you know, there was some issues that I needed to address. And it wasn't that there was anything wrong with the girls, it was more an issue with me. And I remember that my youngest daughter, Nicole, told a story about how when she was in high school. We had moved to the States, and we were in Spokane, and she went to public school there for a semester. And we had no idea how that would affect her. She had been kind of cloistered in a protected environment here on Guam, going to a private Christian school, Trinity, Up in Jigo, all of her life. Classes are small. These friends of hers, she grew up with them. They're like stepbrothers and sisters. And then she got transplanted to a school of 3,000 people on the other side of the planet in a different culture in a very upscale neighborhood. And I found out later it was very hard on her. She went through culture shock. I don't know if you can relate to that. I once asked a friend who just came back from California. I said, hey, did you experience any culture shock? He said, yeah. I said, what? He said, well, I was hanging out in my friend's bedroom all day long. We were listening to music and about 6 p.m. he walks in the room and he says, hey bro, my mom says you got to go. He said, why? He said, because we're going to eat dinner. <laughs> How many of you know on Guam, you don't do that? <laughs> 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 boy, Come eat. <laughs> you experience some strange things when you get outside of your culture. And she was getting it left and right 24-7 in her school. And just felt isolated and alone and was going into depression and a very hard time. And I just thank God for Elijah House. And I could minister to my own child and knew what to do. By the way, if somebody's in depression, the one thing you don't do is say, hey, snap out of it. Let's go to a party. Let's go to a movie. That's the last thing you want to do because their energy level is so low. The contrast and the energy of the party that you take them to only highlights the fact that they're feeling depressed and makes them feel worse. They don't don't need to do anything. They need somebody else to carry the burden of what they're feeling at the time. So anyway, I ministered to her, and she got through that. God got her through that season, and she's doing well now. But she commented last year. She said, one of the things I struggled with is why did God let me go through that? Why was he not there for me? And you know, my heart dropped. Because, I mean, in our minds, we know that's not true. But from a counseling perspective, I know that the reason she thought that is because oftentimes our view of our Heavenly Father is a reflection of our relationship with our earthly Father. And what that said is, there were times in her life when she was young and I wasn't there for her. And so she got this picture, that's what God is like. I knew it was wrong, but it had already been planted in her heart. And I knew that I had to fix that. See, when she was younger, when she was in elementary school, I was a workaholic. I could work 12, 14, 16 hours a day, no problem. It was just normal. And I, looking back, can you imagine? She went through some stuff when she was a kid, and I wasn't there. And so now she's an adult, and she's going through some stuff, and she thinks, God's not there for me. And I had to confess to her and say, you know what, sweetie, I'm so sorry. That when you were going through those hard times when you were a kid, I wasn't there. And I said, would you forgive me? You know, she's so gracious, she did. But there was another thing. You know, I was struggling with how to be a dad. And when she went off to college, I kind of thought, well, she's an adult now and she's on her own. And um, she's on her own. And I guess my role kind of stopped. And I talked to her about that. And she said, you know, Dad, um, (laughs) it can't stop. I just, my heart grieves it'd be too short if, if that's the end of it. That can't be the end of it. And I said, you're right, sweetie. I said, um... You know, I haven't had a picture in my mind of what fatherhood looks like that I can follow. And there is a blank there in my experience. And I'm just repeating what I experienced. And I said, But it's not right. I said, I want you to know that I'm going to stay connected and be committed and be there for you until the day I die. And there was a reconciliation that happened in our relationship. I share that whole story with you to say this. In order to reach the next generation, what we need is the Father's heart. We need God's heart, and we need to be a father to other people around us if we're going to reach the next generation. You know, I could cite statistics and tell you about how before the age of 25, there's a higher percentage of people who receive Christ. And the campuses are the places where all the leaders are. And if we're going to reach the world for Christ, we need to invest where the leaders are and all of that stuff. But you know what? None of that matters if we don't have the heart for it. What we need to connect with the next generation is the Father's heart. But there's a problem. There are many factors that interfere with us being able to enter into that role. One of them is just uh, the whole thing about progress. We all just assume that progress is always good. You know, I got my phone and it says I'm going to get an update and I just click yes and I get the update or my computer wants to update the program or the software or the next phone or device comes out and everybody wants the latest and the greatest. And we just assume that technology and progress is always good. How many of you know these don't always help relationships? (laughs) The attention deficit is actually reducing our relationships. You know, there's a new game out. You go out to dinner or lunch somewhere and it's called stack it. Stack it is everybody puts their phone in the middle of the table, and whoever picks up their phone to look at it first pays the bill. <laughs> that, that's modern day progress, but progress has been going on all throughout the centuries and the generations. And you know, a long time ago, families didn 't operate the way we do today. A long time ago, families did life together. they lived together. They worked together, they played together, they cooked together. That's the way family was. Whether they did it in one place or they were nomadic, it didn't matter. They were still together. But then something happened called the Industrial Revolution and specialization in occupations and the advent of factories. And for the first time in history, fathers began to leave the home to go away someplace else to work and left the kids at home with mom. It never used to be that way. A long time ago, if a kid started acting up, she just said, honey. <laughs> but now he's gone, and now it's wait till your father gets home. <laughs> and so fathers started being removed from the home. And then we had World War I, and fathers moved away from the home. And when they came back, a lot of these young guys who got drafted into the military were behind in their education, so they started going to school and then focusing on their career and trying to get busy, busy, busy to catch up because of their life being interrupted by war, and again, fathers are not at home. And then World War II, the process begins again, and what happens is we've developed generation after generation after generation, a series of generations where we're fatherless, People don't have good role models to follow about what it means to be a father. But the good news is this. God is in the business of reparenting us. Amen? He wants to reparent us for any ways that our parents fell short and pick up the ball where they left off and continue to run with it to take us where he wants to take us. There's other forces besides history and progress there's the media. There's, a, there's, there's all kinds of characterizations out there in the media about older people or about fathers that are, a neg- that are put in a negative light. Again, no positive role model to follow. But God wants to reparent us, and so he is our model. And today I just want to point out three things real quick that we can look at and see how God is a father to us So that we can receive that from him as he reparents us, but also so that we can share it with others. So three examples from our heavenly father. Number one, he takes responsibility. He takes responsibility. You know, I have a friend. First day he showed up at life group. I don't know. God did something. He bonded my heart to this guy. I just had a sense that he is a brother. uh, A brother in the Lord and that he's supposed to be there, and we're supposed to know each other. And uh, God just gave me a heart for him. And, you know, over the years, you know, there's been ups and downs for both of us. But there was this one season where I knew he wasn't doing well. And he would kind of dropped out of sight, and I could just sense in my spirit he's struggling. So I called him up one day, and I said, hey, want to go to a movie? So I went to a movie. Afterward, we got something to eat, and we're talking and just finding out, you know, what's going on in life. How's he doing? And there's this problem and that problem. And afterwards, we sat in his car, and we just prayed. And I just wanted to lead him back to God and help him connect with God again. And a spiritual father is one who takes responsibility for another, even when they're going through a hard time. You know, that's what we do with our kids. They need their diaper changed or they need food or they're in trouble or they need transportation or they need money or they need this or that. And we take responsibility and we help them out that way. And what's true in the physical is also true in the spiritual. We need to take other people under our wing and to to help them out. A father takes responsibility. You know, that's what God did for us. I mean, we messed it up. But he took responsibility. He came down here in the form of a man and he fixed it. Our father takes responsibility. I don't want us to overstep our bounds when it comes to being responsible with other people. You know, sometimes we can feel like uh, maybe a surrogate parent and we can kind of get so tied in this relationship that it becomes burdensome and now I'm taking care of them and is this my role? Is it not my role? Where do I draw the line? I I want to give you a word of wisdom about where do you draw the line? And some of you have heard this illustration before, but if, if I drop this phone or it gets wet and it's broken, I would not take my phone, put it next to one of yours, hoping that the good one's going to fix the broken one. But oftentimes in helping relationships, that's kind of what we do. One person's got a problem or there's some brokenness, and they want to get together with somebody else who's got their act a little bit more together, hoping the good one's going to fix the broken one. But that's like putting two cell phones next to each other. What I need to do with my cell phone is I need to send it back to the manufacturer because they're the ones who made it. They know how to fix it. And in the same way, when we're helping somebody else who's got a problem or some brokenness, we're not the solution. We're kind of a facilitator or a mediator to help them connect with the one who made them because he knows them and how to fix them. And so as you take responsibility for another, all the burdens not on you. The responsibility is to connect them with the Father so that he can heal and so that he can fix them. Amen. I want to keep a balance in that. I don't want to put us under a burden about being responsible. I mean, there is a degree. We need to engage and we need to connect but there is a point at which we step out of the way and we let them connect with God. Amen? So that's one. Being a father involves taking responsibility. Secondly, a father shares what he knows. I'm not talking about homeschooling, but shares what he knows about life and about life lessons. You know, God has taught you many things in life. And the Father shares those lessons with others. And that's how God is with us. You know, Jesus said, The Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. He'll share what he has. The third thing that I want to point out is that a father gives favor. When the angels announced the arrival of Jesus, they said, Peace to men on earth on whom his favor rests. You know, a lot of times when we think about the nativity scene, we know about the baby Jesus and the shepherds and Mary and Joseph. Not a lot of attention is given to what did the angels say. And they said that, uh, Peace on earth to men on whom his favor rests. God gives us his favor. You know, if if, you're going, if we're going to reach the next generation, if we're going to connect with them, we need to give them favor. You know, an example in my life is, some of you may know Pastor Sam Webb. He's the one who founded New Covenant Life. Um, they used to meet in Chalampago. Now they're here in the first service. But uh, when we first came back to Guam, uh, back in 2010, He was the one that opened the door for a lot of ministry opportunities for Elijah House, not only here on Guam, but in Singapore as well. And he's the kind of guy who, he looks at younger people and he says, you know what, I want to give you a chance. I want to give you an opportunity. I'm going to open the door for you and let you run. And that's what he did for us. That's what I want to do for people like Armin and Lawrence and Andy and anybody else who feels like God is wanting them to, Be a father. But they need favor. And so to summarize, if I could bring things to a close, um, there's three things. and You know, there's so much more, but we don't have time. I just picked three. But one is that, you know, God takes responsibility. We need to take responsibility. And just, how many of you have seen the movie um, War Room? You know, the, the main character in that movie, the lady who prays, she prayed. She said, God, give me a person to invest in. And so, you know, she took responsibility when she saw that woman. That woman showed up. She knew it was an answer to prayer, and she just looked at her like, mm-hmm, I know it's you. <laughs> just reeling her in. You know, just pray and ask God, Lord, who do you want to give me a heart for to be responsible for? Who do you want me to show favor to? And who do you want me to share life lessons with? Amen. And if you feel like, well, I want to ask you this. As we come to a close, would you just kind of turn your attention toward God and say, Lord, what are you saying to me? What is it that you're wanting in me? And if you sense that perhaps the Lord is guiding you to step up, to be able to be responsible for another, and to show them favor and to... Share what God has taught you. I want to give you an opportunity to respond and just to say, yes, Lord, I'm here and I'm available.